Welcome back to another episode of Data Science at Home podcast. I'm Francesco, podcasting from the headquarters of Amethix Technologies based in Belgium. In this episode, I would like to kind of take the distance from, you know, the usual way uh, we podcast from, uh, uh, from, for Data Science at Home. And so taking a bit of distance from the merely technical content, because I decided together with a very good friend of mine, I'm going to introduce you in a minute, we decided to talk about some of the social political impact of machine learning and artificial intelligence. I'm very excited to introduce you to my very dear friend, Chiara Tonini. Hi, Chiara. How are you doing? I am doing very well, thank you. I'm happy to be here from rainy London. Well, in this episode, we would like to speak about some, you know, something that we haven't probably spoken about on this on this show, uh, which is social media algorithms for advertisement optimization, and you hear this addiction. Addiction. <laughs> Exactly, because we found that, in fact, there is a, a kind of one-to-one -one relation with uh, the way people behave and uh, the social media they use. Absolutely. This is going to be super depressing. <laughs> well, let's start. Thank you for listening to Data Science at Home podcast with Francesco Gadaletta. You are about to get cutting edge insights from the people who are reshaping the world of technology with machine learning, data science, and artificial intelligence. It's time for Data Science at Home. Welcome to the show. I feel tremendous guilt. The short-term dopamine-driven feedback loops that we have created are destroying how society works. Wow, who's that? So this is a quote from the former vice president of user growth at Facebook, Chamat Paliapitia. Sorry for the pronunciation. Mm. He was giving a talk at Stanford University, and he was referring with this quote to how social media platforms exploit our neurological build-up, the way our brain works, in the same way that it's exploited by slot machines and cocaine, to keep us using their products as much as possible and turning us into addicts. Wow. So starting an episode speaking about drugs is not it's not exactly what I expected, but this sounds yeah. to be <laughs> this sounds to be very cool indeed. Now, I mean I want to ask you as a friend, how many times do you check your Facebook in a day, Chiara? Ooh, so I I am not a fan of Facebook. I do not have it on my phone because it annoys me that it sucks in all of the data from my phone. Still, I check it in the morning on my laptop and my, maybe twice more per day. My trick is this, I don't scroll down Facebook. I only check the top bar to see if somebody has invited me to an event or contacted me directly because so many people use it this way. Mm. But, but unfortunately, from time to time, this resolution of mine slips away and I catch myself scrolling down without even realizing I'm doing it. I think I recognize myself into this kind of behavior. But now, can you tell me, is it the first thing you check when you wake up? <laughs> no, because usually I have a message from you, Francesco. <laughs> that's the first thing. <laughs> I have to admit, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, actually, so while I have my coffee, I do a sweep on Facebook and Twitter and sometimes Instagram and the news. <laughs> All right. Well, for the record, Chiara and myself work on several uh, projects, commercial projects. And uh, and yeah, in, indeed, it's uh, probably one of the first 
people I call in, in my morning. <laughs> I'm so lucky. <laughs> so I have a question for the listeners of this episode. Now, check how much time you spend on Facebook. Like, try to answer the, that question yourself, you know, without using any external tool, even though there are. And then try to sum up all the minutes that you spend, for example, on your email, on your Twitter, on your Reddit, on your YouTube, Instagram channel, and try to find an answer to that. We might have one, but more on that later. Clearly, in this episode, there is some form of addiction, as Chiara already mentioned, that we would like to talk about. So let's start from the beginning. How does addiction work? Okay, so let's start with the human brain, and in particular with dopamine, which is a hormone produced by our body. So in the brain, it works like a, it's, it's called a neurotransmitter, which means a chemical that neurons use to, to send signals to each other. So one of, one of the main functions of dopamine is to shape the reward-motivated behavior, and this should sound familiar to machine learning people, because <laughs> it's something that many, many algorithms exploit. So our brain learns through association, positive reinforcement, incentives, positively balanced emotions, and in particular, pleasure. So basically, our brain desires more of the things that make us feel good, mm. which sounds very natural. Some of these things can be good food, good sex, <laughs> and, and, and good social interactions like hugging your baby, hugging your friends, hugging your pet, or having, simply having a laugh together. So we are evolved to be social animals and our social structures are very complex. And so a successful social interaction is an evolutionary advantage. So every time they happen, they trigger dopamine release in our brain, which make us feel good, make our brain learn that this is a good thing. And so it reinforces the association between the action and the reward. So this feeling motivates us to repeat behavior. Wow, that sounds cool, but scary at the same time. I mean, now that you mentioned reinforcement, I, I recall that this mechanism, in fact, is very powerful and effective. So powerful that we have been inspired by nature and replicated it in silico or in algorithms with reinforcement learning. Right. So the idea is to motivate and eventually create an addictive pattern. At least this is what we try to do in reinforcement learning. Yeah. And so to motivate this agent, the reinforcement learning agent, to follow what is called the optimal policy by giving it indeed positive rewards or punishing it when things don't really go the way we planned. Yeah, precisely. So in our brain, every time an action produces a reward or a punishment, right, positive mm -hmm. or negative, the connection between action and reward becomes stronger. So through this type of reinforcement, a baby learns to distinguish a cat from a dog or that fire hurts that he should not touch it, like me <laughs> when I was a baby. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I mean, not you touching fire, of course, but... <laughs> no. <laughs> but <laughs> I learned. But learning from it, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, so this means that all the social interactions people get from social media platform are in fact doing the same thing, right? Yes, they are, but with a crucial difference. Smartphones in our pockets keep us connected to an unlimited, never-ending reserve of constant social interactions. This generates a constant flux of notification, and in this case, notifications are the rewards. 
that flood our brain with dopamine. And this mechanism of reinforcement that before was an advantage can spin out of control. So the reward pathways in our brain can malfunction. And this basically leads to addiction. Hang on a second. Are you saying that social media has literally the effect of a drug? Yes, but not by accident. In fact, uh, social media platforms are designed to exploit the reward system in our brain and designed to work like a drug. So, for example, Francesco, have you ever been to a casino and played roulette or the slot machines? Mm, well, knowing the people who are listening to this episode, I could say maybe. <laughs> maybe. So, did you have fun? Yeah, actually I said maybe, I don't know. <laughs> so why, why is it fun to play roulette? The fun comes from the wait before the reward. So you put a chip on a number, you don't know how it's going to go. But you wait for the ball to mm -hmm. spin and you get all excited. And from time to time, bam, your number comes out. So now compare this with posting something on Facebook. You write a message into the void. You don't know how it's going to be received. You wait. And then the likes start coming in. Oh, yeah. This I find very familiar, in fact. Yeah. We get a boost of confidence, of happiness. Yeah. So but contrary to the casino, the social media platforms do not want our money to play. In fact, these platforms are free, which should be a red flag, right? So what they want is our time. This is what we buy into the game with. So because obviously the longer we stay on the platform, the longer they can show us ads and the more money advertisers can pay them. And this is no accident. This is the business model, right? But mm. ho however, asking for our time out loud wouldn't work. So if Facebook told you, give me an hour of your time every day, you wouldn't probably give it to them. So they have to find other ways for you to give them time. So like a casino, they make it hard for us to get off the platform once we're on. So they make us crave the likes or the right swipes and the retweets, the subscriptions, whatever. So we check in, we stay on and we keep scrolling because we are constantly hoping to get those rewards. So the short term satisfaction of getting a like is a little boost of dopamine in the brain and we get used to it and we want more. Yeah, that's that's very I mean, I recognize myself in, in your words for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to be critical now because, you know, as a data scientist, I I should say I should I should speak about, you know, my belief about all this. Now, a lot of machine learning is also being deployed to amplify this form of addiction, as you call it, and make it definitely more addictive. Right. But the question is how such powerful ads and scenarios are so effective because of the algorithms and how much just because humans are wired to obey those dynamics. So, I mean, let me rephrase the question. Are we essentially flawed as human beings or are these algorithms truly powerful? So we are not flawed because this, this is not a flaw, it's a feature. So... Mm. The, the way our brain has evolved has been in response to very specific needs. So we are social animals, and animal is the operative word here. Our brain is wired to favor social interactions because it keeps us alive. It's an evolutionary advantage. It makes us successful. So 
these algorithms exploit these features on purpose. They are designed to do so. I believe so, but I also believe that the human brain is a powerful machine per se, so <laughs> it should be able to predict what satisfaction it can get from social media. So how does it happen that we become addicted? So they, as casinos, don't presume that they are smarter than us, they simply have tricks to keep us hooked. So these platforms have the same kind of tricks up their sleeves. An example of an optimization strategy that social media platforms use is based on the principle of reward prediction error coding. Have you heard of this? Yeah, just the word, but please expand on that. <laughs> yeah, so in simple terms, right? Our brain learns to find patterns in the data. This is a basic survival skill. Mm -hmm. and, and therefore, our brain learns when to expect a reward or a punishment for a given set of actions. So, take me. I eat cake, therefore I'm happy. 100% mm -hmm. of the time. Oh, me too. Yeah. But if, so imagine you're a caveman living in, in the jungle, right? You see a lion, you have two options. You run or you stay. If you run, you're still alive. So you quickly learn to run away from the lion. Mm -hmm. So this is finding patterns in the data, basically, in simple terms. So now imagine a scenario where we are playing slot machines and we have learned through experience that when we play, we win some money every 100 times we pull the lever. So now we are going to calculate the difference between the predicted and the received rewards for, for these actions. This is a known fixed quantity that we can calculate quite easily. So just after playing and winning, we know we have almost zero incentive to play again because it's going to be 100 more times before we get something out of it again, right? Right. So what, the, what does the casino do? The casino fixes the slot machines to introduce a random element to the timing of the reward. So it's not 100 times, once every 100 times exactly. It's, it's now it's random, right? And suddenly, our prediction error increases substantially. And in this margin of error, so in the time between the action, pull the lever, and the reward, ooh, maybe I get some money, our brain... Our brain doesn't really know, can't really calculate anymore the probability of winning. And so we have time to make, to anticipate the result and become excited at the possibility. And this excitement releases dopamine. So basically playing in itself becomes a reward. Oh, I think I, I, I see what you're saying here. I, I found an equivalent in reinforcement learning. In fact, there is the exact equivalent of what you just said in reinforcement mm -hmm. learning. And in particular, I would like to mention the, the grid world, which yeah. is probably, it's a classic now, like all reinforcement learning practitioners start developing their algorithms and their new policy optimization algorithms on, on the grid world example. So briefly, the grid world is a grid of uh, five by five cells or whatever. And uh, in this grid, you have a mouse, a cheese and a mouse trap. And now, of course, the objective, the goal of the mouse is to get to the cheese, right? And yeah. it can only be in one cell at a time. Now, of course, it can get to the cheese, but it can also fall into the mouse trap. And yeah. so the objective to, you know, the function to learn, the function optimization to learn uh, is in fact 
how which actions should the mouse perform to get from the current position to the cheese. Now, what you just said as the equivalent of changing the positions in the grid world of the cheese or the trap or both. And so in that case, you know, if we keep the position, if we keep all the objects, all the, um, yeah, all the objects at the same location, the same position in the epoch of learning, it's going to be relatively easy for the mouse to get to the cheese and to learn the optimal policy. But as you start changing the position of the cheese or the trap or both, well, learning the optimal policy is going to become extremely hard much, much harder than uh, than not changing the position. So I think that the casinos know exactly how the grid world works. Well, yeah, I, I, mean, I don't know if they are that smart, but that's exactly what they're doing, right? Um, <laughs> well, I think they are smart, <laughs> or maybe we are so yeah, stupid. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> it's hard to tell, right? So, but now social media apps actually implement a, a similar trick, which is called variable reward schedule. Um, so basically, in our brain, after an, an action, we get a reward or a punishment, as, as we were saying, and this generates positive or negative feedback to that action. So, and that builds our model of what the action, what the, of the consequences of the action. Social media apps optimize their algorithms for this ideal balance of negative and positive feedback in our brain, so that they can sort of hack our ability to make a model of the consequences of the action. And it's basically based on the difference between the predicted and the received rewards. So if we perceive a reward to be delivered at random, and we like when we get the reward, and crucially, checking for the reward comes a very little cost, like opening the Facebook app, what happens is that we end up checking for rewards all of the time, because well, we don't know when they're coming anymore, but it, it takes such an effort to check, and might as well, right? So Sure, there is no barrier in Exactly. Fact, right? So every time I'm just a little bit bored, without even thinking, I check the app. And so the Facebook reward system, through the, sched the variable schedule and all of the possible triggers of notification and likes, has been optimized to maximize this behavior. So are you saying that buffering some likes and then finding the right moment to show them to the user can make the user crave for reward? Oh, yes, exactly. So Instagram, for example, will, will hold likes for a period of time, which, by the way, is tailored to you. And that causes a deep in reward compared to the expected level. And then it will deliver the likes later in a, in a bundle. Thus boosting the reward above the expected the value. And this triggers extra dopamine release compared to normal. And this actually sends us on a high that is akin to a cocaine hit. Hmm. Well, now I would like to ask the listeners of this episode, do you remember my question at the beginning of the, of the show? How much time do each of you spend on social media, like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, etc., in a day? And uh, now that we all know what happens in our brain, why do we still do it? I think we might have an answer to that. Yeah, so as to why we still do it, it's because of this key feature that how little the perceived cost is to check for the reward. I just need to open the app. So we perceive this cost to be minimal, so we don't even think about it. In some cases, like YouTube, for instance, we have the autoplay feature, so mm -hmm. I, need, I don't even need to move. 
to, to see another video. I have to do absolutely nothing. But the cost is cumulative over time, and this is the real cost. It becomes hours in a day, days in a month, and years in our lives. Do you know that two hours of social media per day amounts to one month per year? Jesus, this is impressive and definitely scary. Yeah. yeah, it's so easy. It has become so natural to use social media for everything, you know, to use Google for everything, for example. And that's, again, is on purpose. The convenience that the platforms give us is actually one of the most dangerous things about them. And not, not just for our individual life, like I just throwing away my life looking at social media, maybe that's my business, right? <laughs> but actually, the convenience of reaching so many users together with the business model of monetizing attention of the users, is actually one of the causes of the centralization of the internet, which is the fact that a few giant platforms control most of the internet traffic. So, so revenue from ads is concentrated on big platforms like Facebook, Google itself. So content creators sometimes or often actually have no other choice but to use them if they want to be competitive. So if I want to make a video, the obvious thing for me to do is go on YouTube because it's already there and I know that it's got so many users and I have a very good chance of, of being viewed, right? So because of this, the internet went from looking like a distributed network to a centralized network. And obviously this in turn causes data to be centralized. And this causes a self-reinforcing loop. So if you think about it, most of human conversation and interactions pass through the servers of a handful of private corporations. All right. Well, with this said, I think that as data scientists, we should definitely be aware of this, of what we just said. And we think that mostly we are. And be ethically responsible. I think that being a data scientist today no longer has a neutral connotation. Algorithms have this huge power of manipulating human behavior. And let's be honest, we are the only ones who really understand how, how they work because we make them. So I think, we, I think we have a responsibility here. There are some organizations like uh, Data for Democracy who are advocating for something equivalent to the Hippocratic Oath for Data Scientists, which goes under the Do No Harm. It was nice to be here. Talk to you next time. You've been listening to Data Science at Home Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean to get new fresh episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, or visit our website at datascienceathome.com.